Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. number 100 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, because to us, everyone who dons the orange and blue is in some way unformidable. And here we are at episode 100, which I consider something of a milestone, I guess. Uh, can't believe we've recorded this many of these little callbacks to random myths. I decided I wanted to do uh, Terry Leach. I mentioned him before Old Timers Day this summer, and was close to doing a pod on him. I uh, chose instead to go with John Stearns, which wound up being fortuitous timing, since he passed away shortly after that great moment for him. Uh, I kind of thought Stearns was a bit too known and too played too long for the Mets to do a podcast, but... Uh, when I decided to do, when I had originally decided to do Terry Leach, I wanted to kind of reread his book uh, before I did the pod. Uh, it was a you know, low-key, enjoyable memoir of an itinerant pitcher with a unique pitching style, kind of like a proto 
R.A. Dickey or something. Um, and his book, Things Happen for a Reason, uh, subtitled The True Story of an Itinerant Life in Baseball, I guess that's why itinerant was in my head there, uh, isn't quite the tome that the eloquent and beloved R.A. Dickey's Wherever I Wind Up is. Um, and perhaps that's fitting, because Terry Leach didn't quite put together the full season of brilliance that led to one of the most unlikely sighing awards in recent memory, but his story truly seems cut from the same kind of cloth. An enjoyable story, an enjoyable cloth it is at that, as we're talking about a one-time college fireballer suffering arm problems, needing to reinvent himself, and with perseverance and guile and grishin, uh, and never giving up on the dream of having a moment in the MLB sun, um, they made it. In Leach's case, making it included being in the thick of a pennant race for a defending world championship squad that was absolutely decimated by injuries, uh, with the best rotation in baseball in rehab, on ice, on the DL, young pitchers perhaps suffering from the added and high-stress innings of a long and arduous postseason in 1986, uh, Terry season had a season and a career that wound up being unformidable. And today we will look at his long journey to the Mets, uh, his struggles going up and down, and bright moments uh, with them before uh, his incredible 1987 season, which was probably the peak of his time with the Mets. Of course, it was a long road to that 1987 season of glory for Leach. Took a lot of great pitching in the minors and with the Mets and elsewhere to for him to keep earning his shot over and over. But without further ado, Terry Hester Leach was born on March 13, 1954, in Selma, Alabama. I will try to limit the times I say this, but... Uh, you should really read Leach's memoir if you haven't, uh, as a Mets fan or a baseball fan. I think it's quite the enjoyable read. And don't take my word for it. If you want to listen to noted authors and Mets fans, uh, Paul Oster wrote a lovely foreword to it, uh, memorize, re- uh, recalling a start of Leach's that he attended in 1985. And Jonathan Lethem, uh, among others, uh, provided a lovely blurb for it. It's chock full of great stories, and of course, Leach tells his childhood and his, how he came to baseball and Little League and high school life uh, briefly, but much better than I could. Uh, but it's particularly interesting and revelatory for the struggles and tough life and meager, play, meager pay uh, of the non-bonus top draft pick minor leaguers, sharing couches, no air conditioning in the Southern League, sub-minimum wage checks, etc., truly recounts uh, those stories and uh, all with aplomb in the book. Um, but before becoming a Met, uh, Leach, um, and before struggling through the minors with multiple organizations, he grew up in Selma playing baseball. He was steered away from football by his dad, who perhaps knew the dangers of football from playing at Auburn in his life. Uh, Leach, in fact, was from a very athletic family, and in the book attributes his athleticism and his competitive drive to that and his need to keep up with his athletic older brothers. He did ultimately attend his dad's alma mater, 
on a baseball scholarship or a partial scholarship at least, where they converted him from a third baseman to a pitcher, uh, which he took to quickly, going 9-0 and with a 1.30 ERA as a sophomore and flashing an electric arm. Uh, in the first of many bad breaks, Leach was drafted in the January 76 supplemental draft by the Red Sox. This was apparently voided because of his age at the time of the draft, which I guess would have been under 18. Can't really say what the draft rules were then, but I assume that that was the problem. At any rate, it probably cost him a lot of money. Uh, He was drafted in the seventh round of that draft, but uh, couldn't sign, went back to college, and promptly developed elbow problems, uh, which Leach surmised, you know, with modern information as likely being a torn ACL that was undiagnosed at the time. It cost him his velocity and led to him not being drafted thereafter, Uh, but Leach, as would be his hallmark, would adapt and doggedly continue uh, working on his command, working on a sinker and slider, and continuing to just hone his pitching craft uh, even without the uh, primo velocity. He toiled in independent leagues before getting a tryout and ultimately getting signed by the Atlanta Braves in 1976. In 1977, Leach would get assigned to Greenwood in single A for the Braves organization where he credited his Greenwood pitching coach, Kenny Rowe, with suggesting that he try adjusting and throwing sidearm and attempt to get more movement on his pitches. Uh, Leach recounts that the change brought immediate and dramatic results uh, as he began to work on becoming the darting sinker and rising slider, sidewinding artist we would eventually know and love in Metdom. But again, it would be a long road to get there, although Leach was pretty consistently excellent results-wise in the minor leagues. Obviously a few uh, blips here and there. But the story he portrays in his book is of someone continually overlooked because he didn't, you know, fit the role uh, that, uh, you know, looked the part, as it were, of traditional pitcher. And it would take hours to recount his up-and-down, you know, nature. He famously didn't make an opening day roster until 1988, I believe, after, you know, his incredible 87 run that we'll look at uh, most in-depth. But over parts of 12 minor league seasons, uh, Leach did it all and generally did it well. He went 50 and 33 over parts of 12 minor league seasons, appearing in 345 games, starting 44. He started, he relieved, he recorded 39 minor league saves through 854 innings and did all of that consistently to an ERA under three. Uh, when you average out all of his minor league time. Despite that, and despite having good results in AA Savannah and AAA Richmond for the Braves in 79 and 80, uh, at the age of 26, Leach found himself released by the Braves org uh, with a 5-1 record and a 3.21 ERA at AAA that year. Leach would then latch on with a Mets organization pretty devoid of talent at the time and rebuilding. Uh, which probably represented an optimal opportunity for him to get chances, although even in a struggling, developing organ like the Mets were in the early 90s, those chances were sporadic, even in Flushing. 
Ultimately, in 1981, Leach would get to make his major league debut with the Mets. A quirky-looking, curly-haired, not Bartolo-esque, but not exactly your traditional slender, athletic figure with a whip-like submarine motion that came in just south of sidearm as his knee scraped the ground. It was hard not to root for Terry immediately as a fan. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It would not actually be a smooth Major League debut for Leach, though. Uh, he finally made his Major League debut on August 12th, 1981 making him 27 at the time of his debut, when he would finally get to live that dream of coming on in a Major League ball game. Uh, he came in in relief of Ed Lynch at Wrigley Field after the Mets had scored three runs to take a 4-2 lead in the top of the seventh, and perhaps feeling the nerves, who's to say? But Leach gave up singles to the first two Major League batters he faced. Uh, the aforementioned John Stearns did his best to bail him out with a big caught stealing, eliminating one of those base runners, but after a pop-out almost got him out of the inning, Leach would give up a two-run homer to Mike Lum that would tie the game and give him a blown save in his Major League debut in a game in which the Mets would rally to win 7-4. to four. Leach would settle down and settle in, though, going 1-1 one one with a 2.45 ERA over 35 and third innings, and he would earn his first Major League win on September 9th, 1981, in very Leachian fashion. Uh, he pitched three and a third innings of scoreless relief in, uh, in lieu of uh, struggling, ineffective starter Greg Harris uh, in Pittsburgh against the Pirates. The Mets would rally against Pascual Perez, getting Leach that elusive first Major League victory. That first season and ensuing offseason uh, would and start of the next season would be a microcosm of what Leach did, what would happen to him, that, again, I don't think we'd have time to uh, go through every transaction, would be here all night. Uh, but Leach pitched well uh, from a modern or sabermetric perspective. He didn't strike out a ton of batters, but he did limit home runs. Uh, over 35 and a third innings, he allowed only 36 base runners, uh, 12 walks to 16 strikeouts, although he his strikeout rate would improve a bit uh, at, over his career, um, but allowed only two home runs, uh, one in that debut, obviously, in those 35 and a third innings. And not only would he pitch well, but he would not, you know, by his estimation and, you know, probably by, you know, hindsight, 
be appreciated for his success as he'd continue to have to fight for a roster spot and ride the AAA Major League shuttle for years, despite generally succeeding whenever he'd get those Major League shots. 1982 being a prime example of that, where he would spend most of the year in AAA, uh, where he would go 4-1 and one, uh, with 5 saves and a 2.96 ERA, uh, but would not earn a ton of time in the majors. However, when he did get a shot to make his second career start as a Met, um, when Rick Ownby came up ill in Game 160 on October 1st of 82 in Philadelphia, Leach flashed um, what he could do when given those shots. In one of the most memorable and best starts in Mets history, the sidewinding Leach threw a 10-inning one-hit shutout of the Phillies. Uh, the sole hit a triple uh, by Luis Aguayo in the fifth inning. John Denny of the Phillies actually allowed only one hit over nine himself, with Leach matching him and then exceeding him as the Mets scored a run in the top of the tenth, and Leach closed it out. With the game score of 91, uh, Leach had the first one-hitter that a Mets player had thrown since Tom Seaver in 1977. Uh... Pete Rose went 0-4 with a strikeout in the game, and in a 1984 interview listed Leach among the toughest pitching opponents he had faced. Um, high praise from the hit, disgraced hit king. Uh, also notable, you know, that Rose was a lefty or a switch hitter, and, you know, Leach notoriously was thought of as a sidewinder, as someone who could not be effective against lefties. In another quirk of that game, which is another thing I remember, uh, what a sad life as a child, watching game 160 of a desolate Mets season. Uh, the umpires had to wear uh, Phillies uniforms and groundskeeper's gear because uh, the umpiring equipment didn't make it to the vet. Leach's thanks and reward for a 10-inning one-hit shutout. He wouldn't appear again in the major leagues until 1985. He'd spend all of 1983 in Tidewater for the Mets, which uh, was probably frustrating for him, and it was perhaps his worst minor league season statistically, uh, 82 and 83. Um, it, and you could see where the Mets could be forgiven for thinking that they had gotten the most out of him. Uh, but Leach did, importantly, earn a big ally in the 1983 season as the t then Tidewater manager, Davey Johnson, uh, appreciated Leach's jack-of-all-trades um, flexibility and rubber arm and would ultimately become a bit of a champion or, you know, give Leach more opportunities than others did. After the 83 season, Leach actually was traded by the Mets for a couple of fringe prospects to the Cubs uh, who had apparently scouted him and had a lot of interest in him, but according to Leach, uh, the Cubs then changed managers to Jim Fry, who didn't appreciate the sidewinder, uh, and he never really got a chance in Chicago that he thought he would get, leading to Leach being traded again in early April back to the Braves organization. Um, in 84, he pitched uh, okay with the Braves, but got a midseason release and wound up back with the Mets in Tidewater, uh, where he went 11-3 with a 3.34 ERA, and would be pretty dominant in Tidewater in 1985, uh, posting a 1.59 ERA before getting recalled to the Mets and back to Davy in June. 
Again, he'd pitch well in the majors. He would, at the age of 31 in 1985, he went 3-4 with a 2.91 ERA, flashed that versatility that Davey appreciated, 22 games, 4 games started, um, 1 complete game shutout, 1 save. As befitting that versatile swingman role, he threw 4 huge innings of 1-run relief in that epically famous 16-13-19 inning game, uh, 4th of July game against the Braves that the Mets won at damn near 4 in the morning. His save was another 4-inning outing, uh, 4 scoreless innings against the Expos in relief of a struggling Rick Aguilera. But perhaps the most leechy performance of the year uh, was the one that Auster commemorated in that uh, forward to Leach's memoir on August 22nd, 1985. Uh, Sid Fernandez was scheduled to pitch at Shea against the San Francisco Giants. Apparently came up with the flu or wasn't feeling well, according to the forward. At any rate, Leach, just an hour or two before game start, sitting in the clubhouse in his underwear, learned that he had to start, uh, went out there and threw a three-hit shutout against the Giants on Something like 88 pitches, I think I read. His second career complete game and shutout, following, of course, that 10-inning masterpiece uh, from 82. But more importantly, uh, no pressure, just uh, kept the Mets a half game in front of the Cardinals at 73-46. and 46. Uh, Cardinals also won that day to 72-46 and 46 in a virtual tie, in which, of course, what was an epic pennant race. And Leach dropped his ERA at the time after the complete game shutout to 1.46. He'd ultimately posted 2.91 ERA on the season, uh, 3-1 with a 2.70 ERA in those four spot starts, uh, and really endeared himself to Davey Johnson even further. Remembered him in 83, of course, and but again, there's, uh, he and his team... Davey and the team started calling Leach Jack, as in Jack of all trades. And as you can tell in the memoir and from uh, the famous World Series ring story that we'll get to soon, Leach was, of course, uh, not just appreciated and respected, but seemed very beloved by his teammates and certainly by the fans, uh, you know, with that quirky sidearm delivery and all that grishin. But he may have earned respect and appreciation in 1985, but he still didn't earn himself a job. The season, of course, didn't end as the Mets wanted, as the pennant race with the Cardinals uh, came down to the, that series in St. Louis, and the 98 wins got them nowhere. But in 1986, the team still had no room on the roster for Leach as that juggernaut team. Uh, I guess I didn't appreciate it at the time. The Mets just seemed so good and it just seemed like a natural progression from 85 to 86, but I guess nothing went wrong in 86. No one got injured, all the pieces clicked, and that meant there was no room for the that kind of spare part jack-of-all-trades leech uh, who was invited to camp as a non-roster player, which he didn't appreciate after his successful 85, and spent all but five weeks of the year in Tidewater. Uh, he did expect to get called up when the rosters expanded in September to the 86 team, but then late in the season, he dislocated his shoulder uh, in a home plate collision uh, in a AAA game. Uh, endemic, I think, of his competitive nature uh, going for it. And back when home plate collisions were a thing, even though he was a pitcher. 
Leach was actually not given a World Series ring after 86 by the Mets organization. Uh, it's mentioned in the memoir, and I think even at the time of the publication of the book, the issue had not been resolved, but again, as a mark of how much his teammates cared for him and appreciated him, uh, his teammates fought for it, and apparently Randy Myers uh, split the cost of Terry Leach's World Series ring with Fred Wilpon, uh, as if we needed yet another reminder of how horribly cheap and petty and annoying the Wilpons could be. It looked like the same old story would repeat itself for Leach in 87. A uh, <clears throat> non-roster invite was going to get sent down to AAA, but injuries, uh, Doc Gooden's famous day in Smithers Drug Rehab Clinic, all Roger McDowell injury, uh, continued pitching injuries, David Cohn hurt himself uh, during the season, gave Leach an opportunity, and he turned it into a golden one. Leach got three wins out of the bullpen over the first uh, kind of quarter of the year, uh, the first one coming May 22nd against the Dodgers. Um, the Mets, uh, Leach only pitched two-thirds of an inning and got a win. Uh, the Mets moved up to 19 and 20. They really struggled early that year. Uh, you know, perhaps a little World Series hangover or, you know, maybe just a lot of young pitchers uh, having exhausted themselves, thrown too many innings. People love to look at the 86 Mets and just, slap it with, I think, lazy revisionist history of, like, you know, they all just wasted their chance on drugs, but I think, you know, people overlook the fact that, you know, Doc Gooden threw a thousand innings before he turned 24, and a lot of those other young pitchers, that was a long, exhausting, strenuous postseason, and perhaps it was just natural attrition that I don't think we appreciated as much or were as aware of back then. At any rate, by the end of May, Leach was 3-0 and out of the bullpen with a 2.37 ERA uh, before I think a David Cohn injury uh, opened up a spot in the rotation. In his memoir, Leach described himself at one point, I'm an insurance policy in case someone gets hurt, and people just kept getting hurt. In a June 1st rematch against the Dodgers, Leach started against the vaunted Fernando Valenzuela, went six innings, allowing one unearned run and getting the victory, moving him to 4-0. And he was off and running. His next start was a no decision, where he pitched six innings and allowed only two earned runs against the Cubs. And then he went eight innings in back-to-back starts, getting victories over the Expos and the Phillies, surrendering only three and two runs in those eight innings. Even worked in uh, a relief appearance between those two starts, because that's what the rubber-armed leech would do. Then on July 2nd, he went to 7-0 and with a complete game, two-hit shutout over the Cincinnati Reds. The rallying Mets moved to 42-35, and uh, within five games of the front-running Cardinals. And as for Terry Leach, uh, he dropped his ERA to 2.13, and his record ran to seven wins and no losses. When he won his next start against the Braves on July 7th, Leach went to 8-0, and the All-Star break was approaching, and fans were clamoring for the side armor to get a shot at the All-Star game. Davey had a shot to choose him, but thought that Leach, who was pitching much more than he was used to, needed the rest, and Leach did not, sadly, go to Oakland for the All-Star game that year. But while he had a couple of clunkers where he got no decisions in there, he also earned a couple more wins, and on August 11th, when he went eight innings against the Expos, earning the win, he moved to 10-0, still, I believe, a Met record for wins from the start of the season. 
the Cubs would finally hand him a loss in his next start, a 7-3 defeat at Wrigley, dropping him to 10-1. Despite all that success, Leach would make only one more start as some of the injured Mets began to return, and he moved transition back to his bullpen role. Uh, but that 11-1 record, I believe, still the uh, best winning percentage uh, in team history. Leach threw 131 and a third innings that year, uh, put up a career high for him, 2.2 war, according to baseball reference. Uh, apologies, I'm just looking online. I, I just read, Actually, he joined the rotation when Rick Aguilera got injured, um, and then he... Uh, lost his spot in the rotation when David Cohn returned from the DL um, later in the year. The Mets, of course, came up short painfully in 1987, just missing a chance to pass the Cardinals and get a chance to try and defend their world championship. Uh, Leach, for all of his efforts, had to have knee surgery after the season, uh, but for the first time seemed to have a role uh, all but assured in 1988, uh, made the opening day roster, uh, and pitched well, uh, going 7-2 and two with a 2.54 ERA in 52 games and over 92 innings. And he pitched and pitched well in that 1988 NLCS against the Dodgers, throwing five scoreless innings, striking out four and allowing four hits and a walk. Uh, one interesting thing I thought in the memoir, and it probably wouldn't have really mattered because the Mets lost that game 6 nothing, uh, but Leach seemed bothered that Doc Gooden came in in relief of Ron Darling when he struggled early in that Game 7, uh, Leach you know, thought it made more sense for him to come in since he was used to getting ready and pitching quickly and coming in in relief, and Doc had never done it, which uh, was an interesting point and, you know, again, speaks, I think, to Leach's competitive fire, although it was hard at the time not to want Doc Gooden coming out of the bullpen, and, you know, it's it's exciting, and it usually works when, you know, you have your Max Scherzer's coming in for the Nationals and whatnot, but unfortunately it did not work for the Mets uh, in in that occasion. It's Gooden followed Darling and struggling, and the Mets once again lost a chance for a second World Series title for that great 80s team. Leach began the 89 season with the Mets, but in June was traded to the Kansas City Royals for a minor leaguer, um, I believe ostensibly, so the Mets could bring David West up, a uh, prospect pitch out of the bullpen. Um, 89, of course, was uh, a rough year. Uh, saw the Mets part with a lot of big pieces of that World Series core. Uh, Roger McDowell, Rick Aguilera, Mookie Wilson uh, all got traded. Uh, Lenny Dykstra, uh, you know, with McDowell. And, you know, Leach was a smaller piece of that. But uh, again, I think someone whose teammates felt was an integral, integral part of the team and the clubhouse and, you know, was a fan favorite, just like some of those, in a, in a different way, but it looks like some of those aforementioned Mets. Despite the 87 joyride and accolades, um, you know, it just seemed like it's always a struggle for him, and, you know, it wasn't appreciated, and, you know, even, even at the time of the trade, um, well, the Mets made a lot of confusing decisions in 1989, trying desperately to salvage... Uh, the end of that dy near dynastic run, but the un or underappreciated Leach uh, went on to more success in baseball. He did struggle in Kansas City in 1989, uh, but then latched on with the Minnesota Twins and became a key member of their bullpen. 
1991. In 1991, the Twins, of course, went worst to first, and unlike in the 88 NLCS, Leach was entrusted uh, as a key member of the bullpen with some key outs in the 1991 playoffs and World Series. None more so than in Game 3 of the World Series against the Braves, uh, Leach came in, uh, Tom Kelly brought him in to pitch to Mark Lemke, who was not known as a huge hitter, but I believe he had won the NLCS MVP that year. I know he was having an incredible postseason, and Leach actually said he came in with the bases loaded and struck out Lemke to get the Twins out of a jam. Uh, Leach said that he was tempted to ask Tom Kelly, you know what you're doing here? You're bringing in a side armor against a left-hander. You never do that, which uh, was interesting, but also amusing to me, since Leach always fought uh, that, you know, resented that implication that he was only good against righties, and I think his success starting, you know, proved that he could pitch to both batters, although statistically his splits were much better against right-handers and average against lefties. But interesting in that pressure-packed situation where he did come through, uh, his initial thought was, wait, why are you bringing me in here? But Leach earned that World Series ring, which would, I guess, is the second he earned, but the first he received, thanks to Fred Wilpon. But he did not earn another season with the Twins. Uh, you know, just the story of that underappreciated life. Uh, was granted free agency, uh, not re-signed by the Twins, uh, latched on with the Expos and did not make the team, was released before spring training, and signed on with the Chicago White Sox. Um, and at the age of... 38 in 1992 proceeded to have uh, one of the best seasons of his career. Uh, went six and five with a 1.95 ERA in 73 and two thirds innings out of the White Sox pen. He credited his mixing in a changeup that his White Sox pitching coach taught him to uh, helping uh, give him a new wrinkle. And in fact, it was it matched the 2.2 WAR he had in uh, in. 87 with the Mets as his best statistical season. Unfortunately for Leach, his elbow problems recurred in 93, got into uh, just 14 games, and that was the last of his major league career. Made comeback attempts with the Tigers in 94 and 95, but never made it back to the majors, or never got another shot in the majors after 93. Whether guts or guile or that sidearm delivery, even with elbow problems, even you know, unlike a lot of pitchers who, you know, those last couple of seasons are painful numbers-wise, he threw up a 2.81 ERA over his 16 innings in 1993. And in fact, if you look at Leach's statistical numbers over his career, they're pretty impressive, particularly the traditional numbers. Uh, he put up 10 WAR over parts of 11 major league seasons. Uh, you know, pretty impressive for a reliever. Uh, went 38 and 27. Uh, he appeared in 376 games. Uh, 21 of them starts. 12 of them in that epic 1987 season. Uh, also recorded 10 saves over his career. Uh, many of them of that like three-four inning variety uh, due to his flexibility. And he threw three complete games and three shutouts. I believe we. Uh, kind of covered them all. Uh, 82, 10 inning, one hitter. Uh, his 85 appearance in relief of Sid Fernandez, and the shutout of the Reds uh, in the middle of his 10 game winning streak. He threw exactly 700 major league innings, uh, gave up 688 hits, walked 197, struck out 331. 
Um, and I think those, you know, the strikeout numbers, of course, uh, his, like I said, his ERA was 3.15. Uh, his career FIP was 3.45, so not that far off, but I you know the lack of strikeouts probably hurt him a bit uh, insofar as the 10 war for his career, uh, 5.5 of which were recorded as a Met over parts of seven seasons. As a for just a quote from uh, his book, baseball is a frustrating game at times. Other times it's exciting, and then again strange, even kind of deep. Spending your life in it, you'll find insecurity, confusion, joy, boredom, friendship, mistrust, surprise, despair, hope, and pain. So much happens, you just have to be conscious of the fact that you're not in control of any of it, and from that point it does make sense in a funny kind of way very eloquent way to make sense of a career where Terry Leach was traded three times, released four times, spent parts of 10, 11 seasons in the minor leagues, and didn't make an opening day roster until he was 33 years old, yet still managed to pitch on two World Series winning teams, ultimately winning himself two World Series rings, and etching himself a memorable, unformidable little corner in Mets history. A wonderful Mets career, a wonderful World Series coda, belated appreciation, and I'm really glad that he ultimately did get that much-deserved World Series ring from the Mets organization. Terry Leach, truly unformidable, and so are all of you. I want to thank you, any of all of you who've listened to any of these. 100 feels like a very nice milestone to me. Uh, for the rest of the offseason, we're going to play around a tiny bit with the formula, maybe look at some almost Mets that were rumored to come here and never quite did. Uh, the endless Manny Ramirez to the Mets rumors come to mind, but we'll, we'll probably try to think of more off-season ones than in-season ones. But at any rate, thanks for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. You can follow Amazon Avenue on all your socials, and you can find this and all of our Amazing Pods wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets.